So, you want to ride a motorcycle? Well, you've come to the right place, because this is the So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle Podcast. Hello and welcome everyone. I'm your host, Chris Geis, and this is episode number eight, an interview with new rider and new motorcycle owner, G4. So it's been about three weeks since I released my last episode. Uh, that's because Gene and I finally got in a little bit of vacation time. Actually, we spent about 10 days in Hawaii. We we're in Maui and spent a day in Lanai. Had an awesome, awesome time. It was really a lot of fun. Uh, I'm not going to get into any details right now because tonight's episode is a little bit longer than usual. It's about an hour and a half total. So I'll kind of save some details from the vacation for, a, for an upcoming episode, but definitely was a lot of fun. So one thing before we get into the actual episode is I'd like to ask a favor from my listeners, and that's the following. So I know that uh, you guys are out there, you guys and, and ladies are out there and listening, but I don't know a great deal of detail about who's listening. You know, I kind of look at my uh, statistics from the podcast, you know, and I see how many downloads are happening and I can tell what platform people are finding the podcast on and, you know, things like uh, on average how long they're listening and what country they're from. But I don't know a great deal about my listeners. So if you're willing, it'd be a really, really big help. You know, uh, when, when you listen to this episode and before you finish listening or at the end when, when it's over, if you would do me a favor and send me an email or get, put a, put a message on my, uh, message me on Facebook or, you know, put a comment or, or message on my Facebook page, but you can email me at so you want to ride at yahoo.com. Uh, also you could message me or, you know, find me via my Facebook page, which is so you want to ride a motorcycle. The links for both of those are in the show notes, you know, for, for each of my podcast episodes. But, uh, yeah, if, if you would just send me a quick email, just let me know that you're out there. Um, you know, let me know how long you've been riding, what you ride, and if, if you care to, just a brief couple comments, what you like, and if anything you don't like or would like me to improve about the podcast, and, and even, you know, what you'd like to hear about in upcoming episodes. It'd be really great to just uh, get, get a little bit of feedback so I know, you know, a little bit more about who's listening and, uh, yeah, what they like and don't like. So that would be really awesome. So without further ado, let's get into tonight's episode. So this episode is a little bit different. Tonight's guest is a listener. He found my podcast because he was looking for information to help him get started motorcycling, which I think is really kind of cool because one of the main reasons I had that prompted me to start this podcast was helping people learn about and getting started in the world of motorcycling. And it's also interesting because a couple days ago, I put a post on my Facebook page just asking subscribers what topics they wanted to hear about on the podcast. And this last listener, my guest, responded that he wanted some info on choosing his first motorcycle. So I got the bright idea. What if I invite him on the show and answer whatever questions he may have in terms of finding and purchasing a new motorcycle as part of the episode? So da da da, I reached out to him today in the hopes that he could be on the, the podcast tonight. And surprise, surprise, he already had some good news to announce, which we'll get to in a moment. So first, let me welcome my special guest for tonight. John Gardner IV, also known as G4. So welcome, John. Thank you very much for having me. That's uh, a pleasure. Uh, it's also interesting that John is a fellow podcaster, which we'll get into a little bit at the, the, end, of this, uh, the end of this show. So, John, 
let's start off uh, with you telling us what your good news is. Well, um, as of literally yesterday, in fact, um, precisely 25 hours ago, I am now the proud owner of a Yamaha Tracer 900 GT. Woo! All right. Congratulations. Thank you. I now own uh, 450 pounds of debt. Yay me! (laughs) All right. Go America! (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, is this a new motorcycle? Uh, Yes, it is. Okay. Um, so I, uh, live in central Pennsylvania, uh, and I'm also a graduate fellow. Uh, so I uh, was looking around at some very, um, well, not necessarily the, the, the highest quality of establishments and the nearest one, uh, that I could find, um, for acquiring a motorcycle was uh, over a hundred miles away. Uh, so I, the used market here isn't very, um, flush with options Mm -hmm. so uh, i i decided to settle for a new motorcycle because that would take away some of the hassle of trying to assess something mechanically that i do not possess the capacity to safely assess um uh, and also uh it's a really cool motorcycle specifically the model itself that also just happens to be new for the 2019 model year so there weren't any pre-existing uh used options for it gotcha gotcha which which, that's really interesting and actually kind of gets me into one of the the things I want to do with you tonight is being that you, you know, you are just getting into it and you just got your first bike is kind of use this as an opportunity to just discuss certain things for the listeners who are in a similar situation. Either they just got started or, you know, they're looking to buy a motorcycle. And it's interesting. I think your situation and mine were kind of similar because I've talked about doing the same thing. You know, my first motorcycle was a 2016 Kawasaki Vulcan S. Also, it wasn't the first year, it was the second year, but similar thing that, you know, because it was the second year for the model, there were not a lot of used ones available. Actually, I don't know that there were any used ones available. Maybe I could have picked up like a 2015, you know, existing stock, leftover stock at a dealer or something like that. But it also was kind of what you said that, although, you know, for for new riders, people getting started, it's often recommended that people not buy a new motorcycle for a variety of reasons, you know, one of which is when you have a new motorcycle and you're a new rider, there's always the possibility you're going to drop it, although I wish that on nobody. And I, I by no means believe that's something that has to happen. I mean, knock on wood, I've, haven't, I've never dropped a bike. I've almost dropped a bike two or three times, but I've never dropped a bike. So I don't believe that that's something that necessarily has to happen. But that, that's one consideration that people have. And then the other is, depending on what you get, you know, people sometimes grow out of the motor, the first motorcycle fairly quickly, and it can be a little painful if you have a new motorcycle to take the hit on depreciation, you know, that happens, mm-hmm. right, with any new vehicle, whether it's a motorcycle, or it's an automobile or whatever, you know, it's the common thing. The minute you drive it off the, the dealer lot and it's yours, you, you've already lost, whatever, 15% of the value or something like that. Um, but so like I said, so so like your situation, in my case, also, I didn't want to have to worry about you know, shopping for a used motorcycle that was in good condition and have to check the history and the whole thing. And it's kind of like, I just wanted to have a motorcycle that I could rely on. It had a warranty. So the the point being that I think there's an argument both ways. So for people who are looking to buy the first motorcycle, uh, like I've said in all my episodes, you know, I, I will give suggestions and opinions and kind of what I've done. And then people need to kind of decide for themselves, you know, what analyze it and decide what's the best for them. But I think there's an argument for either way, you know, buying a used motorcycle or, or buying a new motorcycle. 
I agree with you. Um, from what I can tell, it, it kind of depends on uh, the person and I guess a little bit more specifically their situation. So in my case, I had heard a lot of um, people telling me to, to get a... Um, uh, a new, or excuse me, a used motorcycle for my first one, um, and uh, I, I was somewhat rather worried of all of the concerns that they had. I don't want to have it take a spill. Um, I don't want to. Uh, uh, I didn't want to buy the wrong motorcycle, um, and so I made sure to put a lot of research and effort into it. Uh, and the only reason why I ended up purchasing it is because it was, in fact, uh, the right bike for me, and I think that it's also something that I can handle. So, if you want, I can uh, walk through uh, kind of my uh, thought process uh, with why or or how I ended up uh, going with it, uh, if you want. Yeah, no, absolutely. That'd be great. All right, so to start off with, um, uh, I love Pennsylvania uh, because it, it has a completely free state-sponsored motor motorcycle safety program. Um, so uh, that's 16 hours of free instruction and two range days, along with um, both a written uh, uh, and riding test. Uh, and so at the end of it, if you do well enough, uh, you actually walk away with your motorcycle license. Mm -hmm. um, so before I uh, did anything, um, I, I, when I realized I kind of might be interested in wanting to own a motorcycle, the first thing I did was I signed up for one of these classes. Because, I mean, since they're free and sponsored by the state, they go uh, quickly. Um, there was actually a, a place right down the road uh, at my local DMV that was booked until July of 2020. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> yeah, I had to look Something up a tells me you didn't want to wait farther. that long. <laughs> so I actually ended up going to um, a, a small, tiny little town just outside of Lewisburg, which is uh, about an hour and maybe 15 minutes away, New Berlin. Um, and uh, so the first night uh, was a, a Wednesday night, and they gave uh, a, a lecture class introduction. Um, then that Saturday, we had our first range day. Um, and then the Wednesday and Saturday after that, they finished up with the uh, lecture portion, gave us the written test on the Wednesday. And then on the Saturday, we had the second range day finished up with that. And then they actually tested us on the motorcycles themselves. So it was actually all told uh, uh, beginning to end a really enjoyable process. I have to say the instructors were really kind and jovial folks. Um, uh, they, they were very enjoyable to be around. And I also definitely did learn a lot. There was absolutely an attrition rate. Um, some people did realize over the course of the class that um, motorcycling just wasn't for them. Um, others decided that it would be good to return to the range day portion again for free entirely um, and just get more experience on a motorcycle before they actually let themselves go out. Um, uh, and then uh, uh, many people, though, actually did carry it through to the end. And uh, every single person successfully got their license. Um, so that that was very nice, or at least uh, of the people that did stay until the end. Sure. So, so that was ob very Obviously, that includes you. So I, I guess you, you got your license, motorcycle endorsement. Yes, it does. Yeah. Okay. So awesome. one thing that I did that actually I think one of the instructors, I think the exact word he used was uh, gutsy. Uh, is what he considered it to be. Um, uh, from the first range day to the second, I actually made sure to change my motorcycles around. Most people stuck with the same, well, if not the exact same motorcycle, then the same model from um, uh, one range day to the next. Mm -hmm. um, and I decided that since I, I kind of was specifically looking at the Tracer, and I'll go a little bit more into my reasons for so doing later, since I was specifically looking at it, I, I wanted to make sure that I had a little bit more of um, both broader experience with um, m different types of motorcycles, and also I wanted to test myself to see if I could adapt to different motorcycles more readily. So on the first day, um, I got something that was, uh, I, I don't know, part... 
uh, cruiser um, part, I guess, standard motorcycle. It was a small Suzuki, something like that. Mm-hmm. I really didn't like it as much. It had a really jumpy throttle, um, such that I, I actually tested it uh, several times. I put my thumb on a stable portion on the handlebar so that I knew I was not twisting the throttle at all, and it would jolt me back and forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming somebody dropped it on its side a long time ago, uh, not in the least of which being the evidence of a large dent on the side of the fuel tank. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that may have given away some of its mechanical history. Um, but then the second day, I actually tried a much, much larger um, dual sport. I can't recall if it was a Yamaha or Suzuki as well, but it was a very different beast. Um, it it, it uh, felt very different uh, just simply to um, uh, ride and balance, but also to um, work with mechanically, like the throttle and the clutch and whatnot. Um, and uh, uh, even though I did change motorcycles, I, I was able to, again, successfully get uh, my registration. And so because of that, I I realized that I could handle not just the one specific motorcycle that I had um, started with, but that I, I can handle motorcycles in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's one test that I put myself towards. Um, yeah. If I if I wasn't able to handle motorcycles in general, if I ended up having to switch back to the one that I was more experienced with, then I probably wouldn't have gone and bought a a, a new bike. I probably would have made myself uh, get a used one because then it would simply have been more likely that I was going to take a spill. Mm. Okay, got it. That makes sense. So, um, you want me to go into some of the reasons why I wanted the tracer specifically? Sure. Yeah. But before you get into that, um, one thing I was curious about. So these were probably what, like 250 CC motorcycles. Do you know? I mean, I know that's what I think so. Um, I think, uh, about three to 300 is what I'm estimating, uh, for both of them. Uh, or at least average. I know that the first one was a lot less powerful than the second. Mm-hmm. Or at least okay. in terms of final uh, drivetrain effect. Right. Okay. So that, yeah, that could just be different configuration or maybe, you know, one was older than the other or something like that. And then mm-hmm. in regards to the throttle response, I mean, it's a good thing that you bring up, particularly for new riders, right? So there's some people refer to it as like a snatchy throttle. You know, it, it's like it's it's just not smooth it's like you try to just apply the throttle gently and it just kind of mm-hmm. you know jerks or it's just not as smooth as you would like there there are ways to fix that um you know for that particular motorcycle in part might have been like you said because someone dropped it and something was a little out of whack could also be the design of it um i know like the the vulcan s that i have <clears throat> some people criticize it for that i i don't find the throttle to be snatchy but then I don't, you know, when I started riding that motorcycle, I didn't have experience with a lot of others. So maybe I just was kind of accustomed to it. But it, j- just for the benefit of, you know, new riders who might be listening, there there are ways you can adjust that kind of stuff. Like I know with the okay. Vulcan, Vulcan S, they make, um, particularly if you have a cable-based throttle, what you can do is change the cam that the throttle, that the ca- throttle cable runs over so that as you twist the throttle, there's more or less you know, change in the throttle position or whatever, you know, depending on, on uh, most bikes are fuel injected now. Right. So, but, but it changes it, you know, to be, you know, more or less progressive, which, which can definitely help. So um, if there's like some sort of trait about the motorcycle that you don't like, there are other options. You can either modify whatever you have or look for another bike. Is that right? Absolutely. Which, which is actually another good point because, and, and I, I think actually what you, what you mentioned about kind of setting out to try different motorcycles during the class period, I think is a great idea. Honestly, I hadn't thought of it when, when I took the course that the course that I did in New York state, 
I, I don't know. It would have been too much of an option because people kind of latched onto their motorcycles. You know, it was kind of like, I think we had about eight, eight people in the class, one of, one of whom was my girlfriend. And so there were the motorcycles and everyone kind of went to a motorcycle. And then I guess if people had, here's a hint, arrive uh, early. That's actually, a good, yeah. Well, you know, in this particular, yeah, it, it might've worked out here, but this was more like, okay, everybody. So you're in the classroom and then we went out to the range and there's motorcycles. Okay. Everybody pick a motorcycle. And then, that kind of became your motorcycle was just how that, you know, that particular school did it. I'm sure if someone had particular difficulty with one, they would try to, you know, switch it around or, or whatever. Um, and they did have like two or three different models, but, but anyway, that, that idea of switching motorcycles is a good idea. And also to your point about, or your question about custom, you know, customizing a motorcycle, I'm not talking about like customizing the look, although that's something people eventually sometimes want to do with their bikes, right? Which maybe you haven't, I see your smile, maybe you have that in mind already, <clears throat> once the wallet allows, right? But people should be aware that there are a lot of different things that can be changed about a motorcycle to better fit it to you. And the problem that I've seen is a lot of motorcycle shops don't want to be bothered, you know? So, and it, I guess it depends on the volume of motorcycles they sell and, you know, right. If, if you're hard bargaining for a good deal on a motorcycle, they're going to be like less likely to do it. But, a, you know, a better shop will take the time to fit the motorcycle to you. You know, whether that means adjusting the handlebars, putting on new handlebars, moving the pegs, you know, um, all kinds of other things. Like I mentioned, you, you can change, change the behavior of the throttle, like all those kind of things sh- could be customized. So my point is, People shouldn't necessarily be discouraged about a motorcycle just because it's not perfect for them if they're willing to find someone who can set it up for them properly and in some cases be willing to spend extra. Now, one one of the nice things about the Vulcan S is Kawasaki has this system called um, – it's actually escaping my mind right now. But ba- but basically, it's it's a setup where for the price of the motorcycle as listed, there's like three different handlebar choices um, – three different peg position choices and then different seats. So basically they have what they call the standard setup, the extended setup for people who are taller, and then the reduced reach setup for people who are not quite so tall. Um, And that is supposed to be done by the dealer. You know, they, they swap everything out for the cost of the motorcycle, the way it's listed to better fit it to the individual. Now it turns out, you know, not all shops do that. They, they may have the bike and not, you know, tell the purchaser that that's that's a possibility, but it's something for people to be aware of. Uh, oh, Ergo Fit is what the name of the system is. So okay, and so I that's think other, other yeah, other manufacturers may do that too. And and also, I've heard I've never tried one, but I've heard of motorcycles where, you know, if you want to adjust the height of the seat, sometimes that's possible by taking the seat off and then just adjusting some things on the bottom of the seat to lower it or, or raise it or whatever. So something for you know for people to be aware of. Um, and then another question I had for you is, so, okay, so you, you did the course. Um, is this, do you know, is this based on the Motorcycle Safety Foundation uh, uh, I training? Think so, yes. The, the exact um, brand, uh, the, technically the course is um, a third-party contractor, um, but it's the Total Control Program, which I think is in four states. Um, okay. Obviously, uh, Pennsylvania, I think New Jersey, California, and maybe one other somewhere. Um, but I, I, it, it seemed from the research that I did um, uh, on the back end that it, it does seem to be based on the motorcycle safety program umbrella. Okay. Yeah. So, so that one, it, it, I, I haven't done that one. It, it is similar, but it is, it is a separate 
company, right? So in, in New York State, and like you said, most other states, um, I think it's basically the, the courses delivered are some variation of the Motorcycle Safety Foundation courses. The one that you did, and I didn't realize Pennsylvania was one, I knew it was in California, Total Control is the course that was developed like by Lee Parks, who also wrote the book Total Control, uh, I, I guess, which it's partially partially based on, which, which is also kind of interesting because um, I, I don't know if, you know, in I don't know. Actually, I haven't mentioned it in prior podcast episodes, but you know, I know you you follow my Facebook page, and I put a lot of posts there about things that have been put on online by Fast Eddie, right? The guy that has this Moto Moto Jitsu system. Uh, he's got a Facebook page and a YouTube channel and whatever. And, and actually, I'm hoping it looks like I'll have him on the show next week, which will be really cool. Um, but anyway, the point is that he's a total control instructor. He also, prior to that, did the motorcycle safety foundation courses. So it, it's interesting. So actually maybe that's one of the things I'll ask him, you know, his opinion about the difference in the courses, you know, since he's, he's taught both. So I'll have to make a little note to myself here. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Uh, it seemed to me like at least for this particular area, all of the, the total control professors were um, both really good and also just friends and they were just all fun. That, which is awesome because like any learning experience, right? The, the, the the friendlier the instructors are, the more they can have fun with you, the more they can help make it light, even if, you know, there's times you need to be serious, right, or at least focused on what you're doing. But that that's awesome, you know, because it just makes it that much that much more fun. So that's really cool. So the, the other question I had for you is, so this basically was a two-day course, or it was 16 hours, you said, right? It was 16 hours over four days. Split between course room and on, mm -hmm. on, on the out in the parking lot basically right mm -hmm. or is it done okay so at, at the end of the period so they said okay you passed and you have your motorcycle license or license endorsement at that point or, or even now right as as we we talk and you're getting getting ready to start your motorcycling career like how, how do you feel as a motorcyclist in terms of like are you ready to jump on the public roadways um well um that's a good question. I definitely not quite jump on the public roadways, but that's not necessarily for a lack of ability. Um, so I actually work, um, uh, uh, like I said, as a graduate fellow at, at uh, Penn State researching um, MRSA, uh, Staphylococcus superbugs. Um, and so I routinely work in very high uh, biosafety environments. And because of that, I'm an incredibly cautious person. Mm -hmm. So, okay. um, which is good to hear. Though, yeah, even though I am confident enough to the point where I can probably jump out on the road and probably not kill myself, at least for a few months, um, I'm I'm at least the kind of person where I, I'm I, I have a training regimen sent or set up. Um, I really love the bike, and so I don't want to spill it at all if I can help. Mm -hmm. So, um, I I've uh, plotted a few different uh, quiet neighborhoods in town each of them getting uh, progressively a little bit farther away from where I live. And so I'm going to spend a solid evening, two to three hours, um, first uh, cycling around the one that I live in, and then I'll go over a major road and uh, uh, cycle around that neighborhood and then uh, progressively uh, make my way across town that way and then uh, see how I can do on the, the regular roads from there. Part of it is um, a, a lot of the data that I've um, uh, seen uh, and heard of uh, implies that um, many motorcycle accidents ca are caused by... Um, automobiles just uh, simply uh, not recognizing that there is a motorcycle and not seating the right of way when they ought to. And so I first want to uh, get as comfortable and experienced
experienced on the motorcycle itself, such that when it actually comes to um, the, the main road, I'm not actually thinking about what is it? Roll, clutch, shift, clutch, roll. <laughs> yeah. I, I want that to be automatic so mm -hmm. that I can then devote all of my attention to not getting run over and squished. Because right. right. I'm, I'm told that's a bad thing. I'm not too sure. <laughs> I, that's what I've heard. I, I haven't experienced that, fortunately. But <clears throat> yeah, I've, I've heard getting run over and squished is not, not so good. It, it doesn't it doesn't give you a lot of enthusiasm for future motorcycling. Let's put, let's put it that way. But so that, no, that, that's, that sounds like a great approach that you have worked out. And the reason I ask is for a couple of reasons, one, my own experience that I'll get into in a, in a second, but also, you know, I, I know a lot of, <clears throat> I know a couple of people who are motorcycle instructors and, you know, they, they all make the point and, and the better ones make the point to the students when they graduate, you know, is it's like, okay, so well done you know, you've passed this course. So you now have the skills to ride a motorcycle in a controlled environment, a parking lot at speeds up to 25 miles an hour without other vehicles, like larger vehicles, maybe other motorcycles, right? But without larger vehicles. So don't now automatically assume that you can just jump out on the public streets or, or, or go on an expressway or a highway and everything's going to be cool and just work out, you know, work out okay, right? There's other training that that can be done. And more importantly, like what you're getting to is practice, you know, because you, you get some, you know, these courses are really valuable and I haven't done total control, but what I understand about that and what I know from doing the basic rider course from the motorcycle safety foundation, they're very good courses and they accomplish what they what they set out to do, which is give the person the basic skills to control a motorcycle at safe speeds. And, and I think in part, maybe the reason they do it that way is liability because <laughs> uh, quite honestly, so new people on motorcycles, 25 miles an hour or less, yes, bad things can happen. And sometimes they do, but even in the worst case, it's not likely a student's going to die. You know, they may get injured or, or something. And, and so whatever, this is my own opinion, but I have a feeling that's partly why it's done that way. You know, also they're operating in a parking lot. So, you know, how fast can you really go? But uh, there's probably a reason that these beginner courses are not done on a racetrack where the students could actually do highway speeds. You know, it's kind of like, okay, we got you this far. Now go do other training, go to a racetrack, you know, we'll take it easy and, and just kind of go from there kind of thing. Um, I know for myself, when, when I was told I passed the course, I was very happy because I didn't want to have to go through it again. And it was like, say, in New York State, it's the same thing as Pennsylvania. If you pass the course, the instructors are also, you know, certified motor vehicle inspectors. So, at the end of the training period, they go, okay, so anyone have any questions, anything you want to go over, anything you want to practice? No, good. Okay, so we're no longer your instructors. We are now your, you know, motor vehicle checkout people, and so we're going to be testing you from here on out. You don't don't ask any questions about technique. We're not going to help you or anything kind of thing, right? It was and terrifying. Then, My instructor, he was a very happy, jovial, laughing man, and then he became a, a, a sergeant at a boot camp. <laughs> That's he, he went funny. from smiling to just straight-faced. <laughs> You know, and, and I wonder, maybe that's a bit of a, you know, a protection mechanism they've adopted, right? So that they don't slip because they, I'm sure they want the students to succeed, right? You know, you spent the better part of two days training the students and of course you want them to pass, but you know, you want to make sure that you, you've got that, you know, whatever inspector cap on or kind of thing. But, uh, but all right. So, you know, so at the end of it, yes, yeah, so I passed. I was happy about that. And I, and I got my motorcycle license endorsement, but 
I by no means felt like I was ready to ride on public roads. Uh, and, and that's fine, you know, and, and so I more or less took an approach like, like you're looking at doing, you know, which is I, I had, uh, let's see, I don't know how long it was a couple of weeks, I guess, after I finished the course, I bought a motorcycle. Uh, I could have ridden it home cause I could have done it on local streets and not having to hit highways or anything. It's, you know, maybe 15 minutes from my house. Well, the difference the is dealer. those are local streets on Long Island. <laughs> well, 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 yeah, which is makes them double dangerous, and and as we've discussed, you you are familiar with Long Island, so you know, <laughs> kind of kind of what that's like. But I was like, no, that's I could probably have done it, but I'm like, I don't think it's a good idea. So I had a friend who rides motorcycles ride it home for me, which was kind of cool. Uh, what was interesting about that is driving with him in the car to the dealer to pick up my motorcycle. We were talking a little bit, and he told me a little bit about his first experience on a motorcycle, which is exactly the kind of thing I want to help other people avoid. And it's why I like the things that you're saying about your approach to this thing, right? Because his story goes, just, you know, kind of make it short and sweet, is I guess his, you know, when he was growing up, his family had some money. And so that money wasn't an object kind of thing. And so his first motorcycle, he was like 18, 19 years old or something. He picked out this beautiful, I think it was a Ducati. It was like a fifteen, twenty thousand dollars motorcycle. And this is, this is years ago, right? Many, many years ago. So uh, he goes to the dealer to pick up his bike and he's like, I don't know. I thought it was like playing video games. You know, you got the controls, you got a throttle and you got a whatever. Right. So they do the paperwork. He's given the keys. They go outside. He hops on the bike. He starts it up. Sounds awesome. Wax the throttle and just wheelied the bike. The bike just stood up on its back wheel and just went careening into the side of the dealership building. And he basically totaled the motorcycle in a minute. <laughs> so, wow. yeah. So, so that that was an expensive that was an expensive lesson. So of course now he's telling me the story as we're riding to the dealer to pick up my motorcycle. So I was like, you're so him so what's your, what's, your, what's your technique nowadays? Oh, okay, you learned from that one. Okay, good. Now, mind you, the Vulcan S is not so powerful; it could do that anyway. And, and which leads me to another point um which you know particularly for a first motorcycle and that was one of the reasons i went with the vulcan s and there's lots of other choices and I've, i haven't ridden the bike that you bought but it probably applies there as well is i didn't want to i didn't want a motorcycle that if i slipped on the throttle and did something dumb by accident that it was going to wheelie on me or, or 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 get out from under me so particularly for you know for a new rider for a first bike i think it makes sense to have something that's it doesn't have to be docile right because you may want something that you can grow into you know as you get more proficient and you get more confident that's faster and you can have some fun on and that's all fine but something that's tame enough that when you're getting started it's it's not going to get you into trouble kind of thing you know so, Absolutely. so another, another thing for people to look out for um and then so yeah, so so then, my my initial riding career was like you said, riding around the neighborhood, you know, just local streets in the neighborhood till I felt comfortable enough to kind of venture out, like you said, to another neighborhood. Original initially, I would avoid having to make left turns, so I had to cross on oncoming traffic. Now now I don't think twice about it. Now I don't. I have no problem making whatever kind of turn I need to make. But at the time. You know, it was basically, I guess, I didn't necessarily say this to myself, but I just recognized that I was not yet confident enough in my ability to control the motorcycle to be able to do that with those additional variables. So it was like, okay, if if my girlfriend and I, because we, we took the course at the same time, she had a little experience riding from, from years ago, um, but 
you know, basically kind of at the same level. So it was like, okay, if we were going to go out Saturday morning, let's, let's take the motorcycles and get breakfast. I'd be like, okay, how can we go so we can go right turn, right turn, right turn, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and get breakfast and come back into the neighborhood, you know, and then eventually it got to a point where it's like, okay, well, that's not necessary anymore. You know, now I'm cool with making left-hand turns and having to deal with oncoming traffic, you know, and then it gets to where, okay, I'm willing to be on a road that's two lanes in each direction, you know, and then you practice some more and then it's like, okay, I'm willing to now sit at a red light in a major intersection with traffic buzzing, you know, all over the place. And then eventually got to the point. And it was really funny too. When I first bought the motorcycle, I remember telling people, you know, my, my, my family and friends and whatever, it's like, yeah, like I really love this. It's a lot of fun, but you know, I don't ever see myself taking this like on highways and stuff like, you know, like 35, 40 miles an hour, just cruising around, having a nice ride. Like I'll, I'll be happy with that. I won't need more than that, which again, just reflected the fact that I just hadn't built the confidence you know, and then sure enough, one day I was like, why the hell don't I get on the parkway, you know, parkway or the Long, I- Long Island parking lot, right? Which, you know, Long Island Expressway, right? <laughs> you know, why don't I do that? And and it was not an issue. It's like, okay, so I'll do it at a part of a day or a day of the week where it's not too super busy. So I don't have to worry about merging and that whole kind of thing. And then the next time it's like, hey, I can merge. So anyway, so just that gradual step-by-step thing. And it's actually interesting how quickly you can build up to where, you know, where you need to be. Wise choice of yours, starting on the Long Island Expressway and not the Southern State Parkway. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, heck yeah. And then there's all the other variety of things to deal with, whether it's construction or it's, pot, you, know, you, know, you know, right, Long Island, New York is big for potholes and, and, and obstacles and things like that. So anyway, so it, it sounds like you've got a really good approach in mind. So I think that's really cool. So oh, thank uh, you. Yeah. yeah. Anything you want so, to add a part of what you were saying earlier about the um, engine size and whatnot, uh, I think that actually might lead into a little bit of why specifically I chose the Tracer. Do you want me hmm. to go into that story as well? Absolutely. All right. Um, so uh, to begin with, I had heard um, quite a lot from a lot of people that um, uh, your uh, riding tastes may change over time. Um, but thankfully, I was in a position where I'm fairly confident I, I know what I will be doing with it. So one of my great uh, pleasures in life is uh, simply to travel and explore places. So um, I've been to 49 states, as I was uh, saying earlier before we started recording. The awesome. only one I'm missing is Oklahoma because it's Oklahoma. There's no reason to go there. <laughs> Um, no, no offense to any listeners that that live in Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and your iTunes listenership just plummeted from the center of the country. Sorry about that. I take full responsibility. Go unsubscribe from my podcast while you're at it. You know what's what's kind of I'm sure people motorcycle riders that live in Oklahoma would probably have the same. You know, I'm sure there's beautiful things to see in Oklahoma. I've actually been to Oklahoma, and there's nice parts, but. I'm sure they'd be the first to say, yeah, for the, you know, motorcycling, eh, maybe not so much. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I agree with you. I'm sure there are many beautiful things to see in Oklahoma. Thing, singular. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, so uh, I, I get around a lot. And part of this came from um, growing up on the West Coast. Uh, so even though I was actually born in Florida, I spent only eight years there. And then uh, the rest of my time, well, here's the story that I tell everybody. Uh, I was born in Florida, lived in three different cities there, moved to Southern California, lived in three different cities there, did a stint in the Rockies, undergraduate in Seattle, then Long Island for work and now here. So in my 23 years, I have lived uh, in uh, 10 different cities in five different states. Um, but 
for much of my life, it was on the West Coast, and so I, I, that, that's just simply what I grew up knowing. But then when I actually got out here, I think it was actually summer of 2017, or out, out to Long Island, summer 2017 in your territory, um, I realized that there was this entire swath of the country that I was just so wholly unfamiliar with. Um, that being mostly New England, um, and I was also an adult now, and I had an automobile, and there were so many things and places that I've heard about and that I wanted to go and see. So I spent a lot of time in uh, New York itself. Um, I drove all over New Jersey, Connecticut, Rhode Island, and then I had a great big... Um, uh, I think it was a July 4th road trip when I hit all of the rest of the states in New England, and that's what brought me to 49. Um, and uh, coming here to uh, central uh, Pennsylvania, or Pennsylvania, as some people call it, <laughs> um, I- I've been doing a lot of the same thing. So uh, for those who will, um, uh, who may not know, um, or as you'll learn later in the podcast, um, my other major passion is trains and railroading, um, and Pennsylvania is basically ground zero mecca for all cool. of that. Yeah, so cool. there, there are so many many different places that I had already known um, and, and was familiar with. Um, uh, Reading, uh, Pottstown, the, the Little Juniata River, Harrisburg, Pittsburgh, all of these places that I had heard of uh, and read about growing up my entire life. But then all of a sudden I was here and, and I could go there in a day trip, no less. So even though I am in the middle of uh, Pennsylvania, um, and literally I, I'm seven miles from the geographic center point of the state. So I like <laughs> to joke that I am in the precise middle of nowhere. <laughs> there you go. Um, even though it, it is um, hardly a great metropolis, I am also equidistant from all of these fascinating places. And so everywhere is a day trip for me. I mean, even going all the way up to, I don't know, Hagerstown, uh, Maryland and Ithaca, um, Buffalo, uh, Columbus, um, even uh, I mean, at, at the far edge of it, maybe uh, uh, New York. So uh, I, I'm, uh, I already do a lot of driving and road tripping everywhere. Um, and and I, I realized um, when I started to uh, think about getting a motorcycle, uh, I already knew exactly what I would use it for. I've talked with some other people, and I've heard a lot, especially from um, dealerships, how people buy motorcycles thinking it will change their lives and that they will, I don't know, all of a sudden become this uh, leather-clad, handlebar mustached biker person from uh, the dreams of their youth and then they buy the motorcycle and that doesn't happen immediately and they're still the same old person um, at the end of it all um, and, and so they end up returning their motorcycles because they uh, don't um, uh, it, 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 it doesn't turn them into who they want mm-hmm. um, but in my case I was in the thankfully lucky position to already know exactly what I would be using the motorcycle for to right. already have a list of places that I would visit and they're, they are one that I already visit in the car. So that thankfully allowed me to, to assay what I would uh, do with it. So when I started, I think this was in the, the first week of my um, uh, 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 journey of, of what I realized I, I would actually kind of want a motorcycle. I started by looking at all of the different types. Um, what? Naked, cruiser, chopper, um, touring, uh, and all of that. And uh, I looked at what uh, best fit what I was going to be using the motorcycle for. Um, and uh, primarily, obviously, long distance touring, because I mean, one does not make it uh, to Buffalo in a day and back without some sort of endurance. So right. I obviously could not take a dual sport there. That is a really dumb idea. That's only a mere, what, uh, eight, nine hours of driving in a day. That's <laughs> uncomfortable. So I was able to eliminate like basically three quarters of the categories from there. And then with a a little bit more research, um, and uh, definitely a few Wikipedia holes that got me all the way back to the Velocipede, I think the first ever um, bicycle uh, mm. uh, uh, made in France in the uh, 1500s, something like that. Anyway, um, 
beyond that, uh, I settled kind of fairly uh, solidly on uh, sport touring. Because that's kind of what I would be using it for. Mostly, um, long-distance pseudo-endurance. I mean, I'm not going to... Uh, what do the other podcasts call it? Iron Ass? The, the iron, iron. Actually, I like that, but Iron iron Butt. It's the Iron Butt Association, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so obviously not that right off the bat. But still, I wanted to have the capacity to drive to a place and back that was two, maybe three hours one way uh, and back in the same day w- without, like, um, uh, walking the motorcycle home. Right, um, or, or needing back surgery or something. Exactly, that too. <laughs> um, so that helped me narrow down the um, specific um, uh, category and qualities uh, that I wanted in a motorcycle, and I started um, just uh, looking up, um, I mean, I, I punched into Google, best sport touring motorcycles, and I opened up 20 different tabs, and over the next week, I kind of narrowed it uh, down, I, I looked at what the um, general lay of the land was, what the features were that I would want, um, uh, what people thought were um, uh, good uh, motorcycles in the category, um, and then I uh, spent a, an af- a, a, a whole weekend uh, driving around to um, all of the very far away, sadly, motorcycle dealerships um, from where I live, and, and I, I not, all I did was I walked into the dealerships and looked. And I um, made it very plainly clear. Hi, um, I'm a blundering idiot. I have no idea what I'm doing. Can you can you tell me what this is, sir? It's a motorcycle. It has two wheels. Oh, good. I I couldn't tell it apart from a bicycle. Um, uh, and uh, actually, very funny uh, aside, one of the um, uh, salespeople at one of the dealerships that I went to was actually the old personal trainer of the uh, scientist who is one lab over from mine. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, that's just small world. <laughs> Go figure. Funny that's story. Funny. Right in the um, middle of nowhere. Also, yeah, yeah. Um, I also started looking at around this time the uh, used motorcycle market um, in the area, and this is kind of when I started to realize that I didn't necessarily have the capacity in me to um, uh, accurately assess what these were. Because it was one thing if it was um, a kind of up-to-date uh, of a motorcycle and more experienced people could offer my uh, their opinions on it, but if it's something like, I don't know, 2006 or 10, um, then, the, the, yeah, I mean... I don't even know if there were motorcycle review websites going back that far. I mean, great. Um, so then I actually stumbled onto, uh, uh, and it was a, a place in Altoona, which is, um, I think, over an hour away from where I live. Um, and I met this really nice salesperson, um, told him my story, again, that I was a blundering idiot, had no idea what the hell he was, what I was doing. Um, and he uh, pointed me to one specific uh, motorcycle, this uh, new Yamaha Tracer 900 GT. And the important part being the GT, Grand Tour. Mm-hmm. It had saddlebags, which is, of course, something that I... And, and actually, no, I'm a bicycle commuter. I look at my briefcase. It is actually a saddlebag, just the ah, other kind. Okay. Um, so uh, that that's something that uh, caught my eye. And then um, when I went home uh, the next day, I looked at the the list of all of the different types of uh, types of motorcycles that I was narrowing it down to, and darned if the tracer wasn't right there. And uh, I think that I narrowed it down to ten at this point. So I then started doing um, more thorough uh, uh, investigation uh, on each of these. Um, I think what the. KTM Super Duke GT was one. Kawasaki Versus uh, mm-hmm. was another.
another, um, I think the exact category was sport touring with a 17-inch front wheel. That's okay. basically what I had narrowed it down to is what I would be looking for. Because these were kind of, um, all, all of them were kind of equivalently uh, just on the edge of what one could do um, uh, as a beginner. So um, a lot of them are tall, uh, which uh, adds to comfort, um, but also if you're inexperienced, adds to tippability. Right. Um, Thankfully, I am a taller person um, on the order of, what, six foot four. And so that, that wasn't as much a problem. Um, if you're a shorter rider, then obviously you would have to, to look into other things. Um, uh, and I, I, well, actually, when I was at the dealership, uh, the uh, salesman let me sit on it, uh, which I, from what I gather is a good tactic to get a good feel as to how it sits. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though it was 450 pounds, um, from what I had already experienced, it didn't seem like prohibitively heavy. Now, if I had gotten on a gold wing, I'm quite certain that would not have been the case. It would have been like prohibitively um, uh, uh, tippy and not something that I could handle adequately. But I, I felt like um, if I don't know, I, I, if I came to a stop and I had the uh, bars twisted the wrong way that I could still, for the most part, catch myself uh, before um, anything bad would happen. And this was also later confirmed when I was going through the safety training course, um, even though it was twice the mass of uh, the ones that I had uh, tested on, it didn't necessarily feel that different. Mm-hmm. Um, so then at this stage uh, in the journey... So, um, actually, sorry, if I could just interrupt oh, you there for a second, because it, it just brings up a, a point I wanted to make that what what you're saying, I think, is a good point, because one of the things I found personally is, and one thing I would encourage people to do if they're shopping for a motorcycle, is to sit on a variety of bikes and, and do what you're saying, you know, lift it up off the kickstand, uh, and, and get a feel for it. Now that's not definitive. That's not going to tell you everything about it. It's not going to tell you how it operates on the road and you know, how well it turns and all that. But I think it can give you a basic sense of how suited a particular motorcycle is to you. Like, do you, do you feel the weight is too high? Do you feel, you know, the weight's low enough? Does it, does it feel tippy? Does it feel pretty stable? What I would also caution people is, if you like a motorcycle and that doesn't strike you as perfect, going back to what I said earlier, which is you can always get the motorcycle adjusted and that adjusted and that may handle it. Um, but, but I do think just just sitting on touching a motorcycle can tell you a lot about it and, and how suitable it is for you. So, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So um, at this point in uh, my journey, I think this was um, maybe a week before I actually uh, started the motorcycle safety uh, program. Um, I I realized that I, as a new rider, having basically no experience at this point, um, even uh, like riding a motorcycle in a closed uh, configuration, much less on the road at speed in more dangerous situations, I realized that I probably wouldn't uh, have enough experience to be able to adequately assess um, what a good motorcycle would be even if I went around and had a lot of test rides, because there would probably be things that I just simply um, wouldn't have picked up, especially at the time, um, uh, not having uh, had any experience. Like, I don't know, for example, um, uh, if the the clutch was sticky, um, or uh, what's a vocabulary word I learned recently? If it has a tall first gear, I believe, Mm -hmm. something like that. So just a bunch of things that, um, even if I could feel an experience that I might not necessarily be on the lookout for, or be 
able to interpret. Um, so uh, I uh, part of why I um, uh, am so confident in this uh, motorcycle is to purchase it uh, days after I get my um, uh, got my license. Um, was I, I went around to see what all of the experts were saying? Um, basically, motorcycle reviews. These are people who uh, find their employ uh, riding a lot of different motorcycles, uh, doing uh, long distance, uh, doing uh, races and whatnot. Um, and so presumably they could pick up on all of these things that I would not. And so this is how I basically narrowed it down to the tracer specifically, is that um, it, it got uh, unilaterally good reviews. Um, I think Revzilla, which is the uh, large um, uh, uh, distributor slash, I guess, magazine that's headquartered in Philadelphia, yeah. um, they actually helped get me into it um, with some of their um, excellently done um, beginner riding videos. Um, and I actually found a review of the Tracer um, that was written by uh, one of the people who starred in the beginner rider videos. Um, and the exact words, I believe, that uh, he used to describe it were, on rails stable. <laughs> okay. Now, of course, me being a train as bomb, a railroad person, <laughs> that's funny. But yeah, but, so, it, but that does communicate. Like, like you get what the person's saying. Like this thing is exactly going to do what you want. It's going to track the way you want. It's going to turn the way you want. Exactly. Yeah. And, and actually, going back to what you were saying, uh, saying about wheelies and about the bike getting out from under you, um, actually, I think in this exact same review, uh, he was mentioning how um, uh, he could eventually pop a wheelie with it, but it took a lot of work and concentration. So it did have the power, but for the most part, it was um, a, a remarkably uh, well-contained and tame vehicle, something that uh, could possibly build confidence and that I could use for uh, a long enough period of time um, and that uh, uh, I, I could grow with rather than either out of or into mm -hmm. so um this is a, a part of what uh, over this entire process the more i learned about motorcycles and about uh, the more i learned about the tracer specifically the more i kind of drifted in its direction specifically it just simply took a lot of thought it's not that i'm some sort of uh, aficionado of I, I don't know yamaha or of sport tours or of this particular one it's that i did uh, as much research as I could. Um, I did as much critical thinking as I had the capacity to do um, with my knowledge, experience, um, uh, and uh, abilities. And this is the conclusion that I landed on. I'm not trying to say that the uh, Tracer is uh, the best uh, uh, motorcycle for new beginners that have the ability to purchase it. Um, I'm saying that it is, it's simply the best for me. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, part of why I did choose it is um, because one of the phrases in the reviews was, quote, best in class. So that certainly didn't hurt at all. Sure. Um, but uh, whatever you do as a new writer, at least, I mean, not that I'm an expert and you should be listening to my advice, <laughs> is that uh, you should find uh, what's right for you. Um, even if uh, it, it might not necessarily be the traditional path. So um, then uh, I got my license, and yesterday I actually uh, took it for a test ride. Nice. Uh, I, I uh, made sure to, again, go as cautiously as possible. Um, the uh, I actually found the same salesperson who was so kind to me the first time around, um, uh, and I spent uh, a, a possibly even a half hour with it in um, the, uh, uh, the parking lot. Um, and I was actually rather amazed at, at how it felt. Um, so uh, I had tried the um, uh, other motorcycles in the, the safety class and I had moderate experience. I mean, also being a, a bicycle commuter, I would like to think I know something about two wheels just either at or under 20 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> um, 
But uh, when I got on the tracer, uh, darned if on rails stable wasn't exactly how it felt. Um, it felt like I could um, get it around corners uh, uh, that somewhat tightly, but also safely as well. So the salesperson then uh, made the suggestion that uh, we take it out on the road for oh, a, a short three-quarter mile um, round trip, I believe. I, I, I did not want to push my limits. Um, we made sure that there was no traffic in the area such that if I did um, make a mistake like stall, haha, yes, I did stall. <laughs> it happen it <laughs> happens. It happen well, I, I shouldn't. I don't like these generalities. That's happened to me. I was going to say it happens to all of us. I don't know if that's true. That's happened to me. So. <laughs> yes. Um, so we, we made sure there was no traffic in the area. And um, I, I, I also made sure that I would go at my own pace, that I wouldn't feel pressured to keep up with him or ride mm -hmm. outside of my abilities. Um, and so we uh, took a turnout onto a road and all of a sudden, 30 seconds later, I looked down and that's 45 miles an hour, <laughs> more than twice as fast as I'd ever gone on a motorcycle before. And uh, I felt very safe doing it. Um, I was in third gear, but not pushing the revs too hard. Um, I didn't feel unstable uh, or uncanny. I hit all of my corners without too much issue. Um, it, it, it felt right. Uh, dare I say something as ephemeral as that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's ultimately what made me decide to go for it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it, so it, it sounds like you made a great choice. I mean, from, from everything you've said, it sounds like this, this spike will probably be with you for a while. With any luck. Yeah. Good. Cool. Would, um, th this is, this is a phrase that motorcyclists sometimes use. And I'm just curious, th does this apply in your situation that, that this motorcycle spoke to you? You know, that when, you know, you, you did your research, you did your analysis, right? The final thing, it was just like, Hey, this is the one for me, you know, at, at this point in my life, at this point in my riding career, starting out, like, this is the one for me. So feel I, like I, that at all? I definitely would say it did. Um, although I, I think it was more of other people speaking for it because of all the reviews that I looked into. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, or or, or my, they helped to interpret what it was saying for me uh, is probably a better way of putting it. Um, in terms of looks alone, it definitely hit the mark. It, it spoke right to me because I, I don't know. I, I never grew up in a family um, where, where motorcycling was a big thing. I had known one motorcyclist in my entire life prior mm -hmm. to this point, and he was a very distant boss of a boss so um it, it's not like i had some sort of image in my head of i don't know a cruiser or a chopper riding thing um uh, uh but i saw this specific one uh and i don't know something about the fairing um and the saddlebags just made it look um different from a traditional motorcycle i mean almost almost tron like Mm -hmm. And that definitely hit my personality as well. Okay. Um, but in terms of the, um, the, the design of the machine, um, the specific way I interacted with it, uh, the clutch, um, uh, the, uh, the, the, the throttle responsiveness, um, and I also kind of cheated and uh, read the uh, owner's manual online well before I even <laughs> considered purchasing it. Good um, move, good move. <laughs> It seemed to me like just all of the pieces fit together, and uh, this was uh, the one that I ought to go with. Nice. Okay. Now, so, um, as to yeah. whether or not it spoke to me, I am going to make a disclaimer here and say that probably a non-small amount of what I've been blathering on about for the past 45 minutes uh, is probably just internal justifications of I've already made my choice, <laughs> now I have to make it sound logical. <laughs> but, yeah, well, uh, yeah I, I guess I would have to say to you it did speak to me, ultimately. Okay. Well, I mean, and, and, and the, the justification thing, too, is, is fine, too, because, you know, one of the things I've talked about 
you know, on the podcast, or actually the last episode I did, is that there's a part of motorcycling, at least to me, and I think many others will agree, that's not rational. There, there's an emotional side to it. I also refer to it as a spiritual side, you know, and, and so you can get into that kind of, uh, it's not a conflict, but that, that opposition where it's like, I, I, you know, I'm just, I'm getting this one cause I, it's beautiful. It's, it's a beautiful looking machine, you know, because I want to have a motorcycle because I want to experience that. It's not necessarily a hundred percent logical or rational or whatever. So that's totally fine. It's like you do what made sense to you and then whatever, you know, justify it for yourself however you need to, you know, as as long as you end up enjoying it, what does it matter, right? Yeah, or just don't justify it to yourself and uh, let you, a little bit of a tear run down your face every time the money disappears from your bank account every month. Exactly. And realize it is just money, right? <laughs> you can't ride money around town. <laughs> this is true. I, I know, and, and I will say as a motorcyclist and you know, if you haven't experienced it yet, even just in the little test ride that you did, you know, I'm sure you will that the the value, what what you get out of your motorcycling and your trips that you're going to do and your adventures, right, the value of that will far outweigh, you know, the money that siphons out of your bank account <laughs> every month. <laughs> right? Or, you know, and if it doesn't, you're, you'll sell the bike and, and you'll whatever, you'll go on to something else. Mm-hmm. But I have a feeling that that's not going to happen in your case, it seems from everything you've said, sounds like you're happy with your purchase, right? Because mm-hmm. if, I, if I understand you, you, you like me, you bought the motorcycle before you tried it, before you actually rode it, right? And, and you know, I, it worked out for me. It sounds like it worked out for you. So that's, that's awesome. No, one more thing that I should uh, add in on this note. I, I was I, I realized that a lot of people were uh, pointing me in the direction of getting a, a used motorcycle, and also I knew that I just wasn't experienced enough. And I mean, ultimately, it is a big bike. I mean, the, the seat height is thirty four inches. So I mean, even though I'm a taller person, it it, it was kind of just on the edge, and it does also have a nine hundred cc motor, so that is somewhat uh, powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really did have to have a sit down and a talk with myself before I went to test ride it, such that if there was any indication that I could not handle it at all, that I would um, go and get a starter, a bike or a used bike somewhere else first. Okay. The right. only reason why I ended it uh, uh, ended up with it at the end of the day is because um, I uh, uh, made as sure as possible with myself that I could handle it, uh, even uh, if I was uh, simply being a cautious rider for the first few months. Mm-hmm. Sure. And look, I mean, at some point, you kind of you have to pull the trigger because you can you can analyze these things till you're blue in the face. And and it's good. Like, I, I think it's valuable to, to sit down and weigh the, the pros and the cons and do the best you can to come up with a good decision. But ultimately, you just got to go for it and, and try it. So glad it's work. Glad it's working out for you. Wonderful. Yeah. So it should be delivered sometime next week. And then I will start my uh, strong regimen of practice. Good. Awesome. Now, and I'll put in a little plug here for Fast Eddie and his Moto Jitsu. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you've looked into it or checked it out at all. Um, what, one of the things I like about what he does is is the fact that, one, he's a motorcycle instructor, so he has experience teaching. Um, and so he basically developed the system as a tool for students who are you know, in between courses and wanting to improve their skill. And it's very simple drills that you do. I, I, I have his book for the Moto, his Moto Jitsu program. I haven't started the, the drills yet. But you basically find an, an open parking lot, you lay out a course, and you just drill and practice what he suggests. And, and the idea is you just, you know, repetition, 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 practice, practice, practice. And it's interesting because one, one of his sayings is um, 
pra- what is it? It's practice. Yeah, practice makes permanent. Perfect practice makes perfect, which is which is kind of interesting. So so the right the point being that yes, practice and drill, but you have to make sure you're practicing and drilling something correct and sensible. Otherwise, you're you're you know building that automatic circuitry or that muscle memory for something that may not work effectively for you, kind of thing. But uh, and this is also something that, um, my instructors got to is that they are constantly practicing. Um, like one of the um, exercises they had us do was the um, maximum uh, stop, um, and even the slight change from fifteen to twenty miles an hour. Um, it, it, it was very interesting how differently the um, uh, rear brake uh, handled in both of those uh, two situations. Uh, and so later, after the course, I mean after the test, even I was talking with one of the instructors, and he was saying how just the other week he was on a highway alone, um, going sixty-five miles an hour, and there was nobody around, and he decided just for the hell of it to to practice doing a maximum brake on the highway um, at highway speeds on his mm-hmm. own motorcycle. Um, and, and he said that quite simply, you want to uh, test these things uh, or, or test yourself on these things regularly in controlled situations because you're not going to have the opportunity uh, uh, in a life-saving event to think to yourself, well, now how much pressure should I really put on the rear brake? Right. So yeah. to what you were saying, practice is important and you should be diligent about uh, maintaining that. Yeah, absolutely. And and even, you know, like in a case like mine where I have two motorcycles or a person has multiple motorcycles, it's really practice on each motorcycle. And yes, it could be time consuming and, and okay, whatever, got it. But to, but to, that's also part to of your the fun. point, no, absolutely. And to your point, it's like, you know, you want to have that muscle memory and that, that built in reflex that when you need to do something quickly, on whatever motorcycle you're on, you you know how it handles, you know its limits, you know, you know, at what point is the rear wheel gonna lock up or or you know, whatever, whatever happens to be. So yeah, that's a great that's a great point. Um so one thing I was curious about, so prior to taking the the motorcycle instruction course, did you have any experience with manual transmission in a car? None um, at all. Okay. Do you think that made would have helped at all? Do you think it would have made any difference? Like, did you find any difficulty in picking that up, having driven cars with automatic transmissions? You know, I would say that it might actually have hurt to have uh, had experience with manual cars. Um, Uh Right off the bat, uh, there are the dissimilarities in how you use the clutch. Because in a motorcycle, you uh, ride um, on the clutch in the friction zone for the most part. That's not something you do in an automobile. And I I, I can forecast for you, um, in the next few months when my father comes by and sees, uh, oh, that's a new motorcycle in there. uh, If I ever take it uh, for a ride in front of him, I bet you he is going to criticize how I use the clutch and tell me I'm doing it wrong. Right, because you're slipping it and you're going to burn out the clutch. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right. So it might almost be a bad thing um, if you have experience with um, uh, manual cars. Um, amazingly, when I was actually testing the, the whole um, uh, gear shift in, in one of the exercises later, it, w- it was really um, unexpectedly easy. After a few tries, I mean, all you had to do was just um, get it down in your head to go off the throttle before you open up the clutch. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that happened a few times. Um, but once I remembered that and the, the whole sequence of everything, it, it became surprisingly, almost, dare I say, natural to it. Um, 
I can only imagine where this question is coming from, having just listened uh, to, what, Throttled, where you guys were talking about e-bikes uh, being clutchless, uh, getting more people into mm-hmm. motorcycling. Right, right. Um, and uh, it, it does make sense that it would be an easier thing to do. But, I mean, given that I was able to get it down for the most part in less than 25 minutes of effort, I don't think it would actually be uh, as big of a thing as you might think. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, it would make things easier, but not that much. Right. But I, I think that's that's a really good point. And, you know, particularly, right, because one of the things, you know, I'm geared towards in this podcast is, you know, helping new riders. And so that's I think that's it's good that you make that point, because people who might feel intimidated for whatever reason, like they've tried a motorcycle and it didn't quite work out. It may simply be a reason that they weren't instructed properly, where they were given an opportunity to get the feel for the clutch and how it operates and have the time for themselves to kind of work it out because there there's, it's a bit of an art. There's this kind of a feel to it, you know, and, and, and just for, you know, for people who don't ride or haven't ridden, just what we're talking about is. So when we talk about slipping the clutch, what we're talking about is when, when you drive a car with a manual transmission, when you change gears, you fully disengage the clutch so that the engine is disconnected from the drivetrain and, and the rear wheels or front well actually I, I guess there's no i don't know if there's any manual transmission front wheel drive cars i don't think so but normally the rear the rear wheels um and then you change your gear and then as quickly and smoothly as possible you you re-engage the clutch so that the engine reconnects to the drivetrain and the, the wheels continue to turn on a motorcycle it's different because one of the things that gives you some control is controlling how connected the motor is to the rear wheel and so there's this idea of slipping the clutch and the friction zone. So when, when you pull the clutch lever in fully and the clutch disengages, there's a little period, a little amount of travel of the clutch lever out that is kind of dead space, like nothing happens, and then the clutch starts to engage. And the more you let the lever out, the more fully it engages till it's it's like fully engaged. And so that's actually a technique, particularly in slow, in getting started, getting the motorcycle started from a stop. And in doing um, slow, slow speed maneuvers and things like that, and so to to uh, <clears throat> to John's point, and and it's actually an interesting point that you mentioned that maybe it would have been more difficult if you had the car experience because I I came from having driven a number of uh, manual transmission automobiles, and that's actually how I learned to drive a car. Um, and I do remember kind of being not freaked out, but it was like, what do you mean you slipped the clutch? <laughs> because again, <laughs> in a car, it's like don't do that because you're going to burn out the clutch. It's going to, you're going to wear it out sooner than, than necessary. Whereas in a motorcycle, the clutch is designed to do that just because of the nature of it's a little bit different. So yeah. another thing of note, uh, being a beginning rider, it was very comforting to have this um, effective abort switch at my left hand, such that if uh, the, the motorcycle was ever um, bucking or doing something uh, uh, that I didn't uh, want it to, or that um, I was twisting on the throttle and not realizing it, it was very comforting to know that I could just disengage the engine from whatever the motorcycle was doing. And so even though it might be very loud and scary between my knees, I would still uh, quietly roll to a stop when I could just reassess to see what I was doing wrong. So if anything, it might be a good thing, at least for beginner riders to, to know that that's there and it might remove some anxiety. Mm-hmm. That's a good point too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so another thing I was curious about, so you had experience bicycling, right? Before getting into motorcycling, how, how long have you been riding bicycles? 
Um, I've been riding bicycles for a very long time, uh, mostly recreationally. Um, I, it, it's kind of picked up over time. I got my, um, uh, my I guess, current and main uh, bicycle, which I actually uh, just last month replaced because the poor thing was falling apart. Um, I picked it up in Portland in 2013, 14, something like that. Um, and I used it mostly for um, uh, family uh, weekend bike trips uh, when we would uh, bike around Lake Washington and the Seattle area. Um, and then over time, I started um, doing it myself more, to realizing that I could go and explore places on a motorcycle if I had a free uh, bicycle if I had yeah. a free day. Yeah. Um, uh, and um, so it was mostly recreational. Then actually, when I went to Long Island, um, I started tr uh, playing with the idea of bicycle commuting. I was actually living in, um, oh, what is it? Uh, next to Huntingdon, not Cold Spring Harbor. It also begins with a C. Oh, um, Green Long, Greenwood. One town to the east of Huntington. Um, and I was. Uh, Comac? Comac. There I... you go. No, no, that's the other yeah. way. Well. No, that's, that's east. Okay. No, okay. just somewhere in there. You you yeah. know where I am. Uh, yep, where I know I'm what you're talking about. Yep. Um, and then I would um bike to uh, Cold Spring Harbor. Um, okay. so that was a, a fairly short um bicycle trip of maybe about five miles. Um, oh wait, yeah, no, roads don't go straight. Uh, heh, it was a <laughs> ninety minute one way bicycling commute. Yes. Okay. Um, right. so it, it was very intense. I I only did it during the summer, and the last stretch was also actually on one of those terrifyingly skinny no shoulder state roads mm -hmm. um but um, i mean amazingly i wasn't flattened um I, i'm well, sure well I done yeah <laughs> that, that was very mind uh boggling to me but um even uh, ignoring that one terrifying stretch of road uh going uh, to cold spring harbor um i actually found how much i, I just simply enjoyed it and so i i would take a lot more recreational bike trips um on evenings during the summer and then when i moved here to state college i then realized that this is what i wanted to to do um just for the fun of it that, that i liked being able to go around on a bicycle and just get off wherever not circle for parking um or see something really interesting and then just stop immediately uh, put up the kickstand and then just walk right over to it um mm -hmm. or, or or do something like that um and so i specifically um chose my housing here uh in the state college area in order to be um in a more uh, urbanized and bikeable environment right. cool cool now do, do you think that your experience bicycling helped at all in picking up motorcycling um Actually, that's a very interesting question, because I would say both uh, yes, very much, and also no, not at all. Mm -hmm. um, when you're riding a bicycle, um, especially now that I can directly compare back-to-back -back motorcycle to bicycle, uh, you, you can easily do the exact same techniques, um, as I learned um, when I just tried out a few of the ones that, uh, that I learned from the motorcycle class. Um, but also you can um, completely disregard them and ride them both in completely separate ways. So in my case, since I ride the bicycle every day, it did help a little bit that I could actually test some of the techniques, um, like counter-steering um, right. on the bicycle, and also not have uh, 200 to 300 pounds of uh, metal uh, between my legs that would crush my leg if I did something wrong. Um, because right. on a bicycle, it's, oh, shit, there's a bush. Um, okay, and then you're in the bush, and then you dust off some leaves, and you right. get back on and carry on with your life. Um, so that did help a little bit. Um, it, it was a nice way to experiment in a low-stress situation. Um, uh, and so, it, 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 I, yeah, I, I guess I would say it helped.
Yeah. Okay. Now, and it's an interesting question because I hadn't really thought of it before. I mean, I had a lot of experience bicycling, road bicycling, mountain biking before starting motorcycles. And so I actually, that's actually a question. In fact, if, you know, for, if there's any listeners out there who learned to ride a motorcycle, you know, not having ridden a bicycle, I'd be curious because to me, uh, it just seems, you know, one of the things bicycling gave me was that sense of balance, like being able to, you know, granted the bicycle itself weighs almost nothing, right, compared to your own weight. But, you know, that, that I just remember being a kid and, and first learning to ride and being able to lose the training wheels and whatever, you know, it was learning that balance point. You know, you have this very narrow vehicle and then your own weight, you know, and, and so I, I don't like because I had that experience, I don't know. I don't know if it would have been more difficult to learn the motorcycle, you know? And then, like you said about the counter steering and, and for people not familiar with that, it, it's the, it's the concept. And it's interesting because this can be confusing to, to new motorcyclists when this is talked about, because there are some people who are good explaining what counter steering is. And there's some people that just, I, I feel just confuse things, right? The, the basic principle is that with a two wheeled vehicle, particularly when it's, moving at some kind of speed is the the way that you get it to turn like let's say the way you get the bicycle or the two-wheeled vehicle to turn left is you need it to lean left and because of the geometry of how a two-wheel vehicle is set up with the frame and the two wheels the way you actually accomplish that is by turning the front wheel slightly to the right and that enables a shift in weight that gets the bicycle to lean to the left and then you initiate a turn to the left People have other ways of describing it where they go push left, go left, and, and none of that really ever made much sense to me. But it's an interesting thing because for anyone who's still confused about it, what I'd suggest is take a toy bicycle or motorcycle that's of decent size and, and actually try wheeling it around like on a flat surface, a table or a floor, and, and try steering it, and you can actually see that this is how it works. You know, it's, it's, if you mm. want, if you want the thing to go to the left, you turn the front wheel slightly to the right. And if you want it to go to the right, you first turn the wheel slightly to the left, you know, that, and that that's counter steering because the steering is counter opposite to the direction that you're intending to turn. But, yep. You're pretty much right yeah, with that. Yeah. One more thing that I would like to add with respect to bicycles, more than a sense of balance and more than a sense of two-wheeled experience, it gave me a sense of confidence. Um, because when I was really early on in this journey, uh, like basically uh, leading up to the first uh, range day and also actually a little bit after the first range day as well, I was able to, whenever I got just really scared or worried of like, oh no, it's this grand mysterious thing that is so deadly and I could fall over at any moment or pitch myself off the road, it was very helpful to know to myself, well, I already ride uh, two-wheeled vehicles every day, and I don't tip over spontaneously. Right. I, I, I have this experience. I, you're right that the, the bicycles don't weigh that much. Mine actually weighs, I think, 56 pounds when I put mm -hmm. my saddlebag on it, yep. but that's because I uh, textbooks. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, whenever it came to the, uh, I guess, the training uh, motorcycles, they, they were uh, 250 pounds, but that's only five times more than um, my bicycle. And I keep my bicycle upright every day. So it, it was a very uh, useful way to, to when I was like starting to get panicked or worried or scared. It, it was very useful to remind myself of that fact and calm myself down so that I could focus on um, what I was doing with the motorcycle, mm -hmm. oh. well, on how it was responding and, and what I was doing with it. Right, right. Okay, good point. Cool. Did um, prior to learning 
riding the motorcycle, did you have any experience with powered two-wheel vehicles? Like, you ever ride like a moped or a scooter or anything like that, mini bike? I mean, I had uh, tried uh, some pedal uh, electric assist bicycles, but th- those are just basically bicycles that make you go slightly faster than normal. Faster, so right. Not half, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's a it's an odd little world there where they're kind of part motorcycle, but actually really not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So well, I, I would say effectively no. Yeah. I mean, as you know from listening to Throttled, right, and and, and that being one of the things we've been talking about, it, it it is interesting to see like kind of what's happening. And in fact. I've thought about buying another mountain bike because the, the, the one I have kind of like you were explaining, you know, it's, it's, I bought it years and years ago and it's getting a little decrepit and it, it's time for something new. And I, I want to start getting more exercise again, but I'm like, I, you know, I don't know. Do I want to do this e-bike thing? You know, I, I'm almost tempted to just go with a straight up bicycle. You know, it's like, okay, when, when I don't want to pedal, I'll ride the motorcycle. <laughs> when I want exercise, I'll ride the bicycle. And I, I'm accustomed from old style. Like you hit a hill, you just cranked it out. Like there was no, no electric assist, or, you know, anything like that. But, uh, so I, I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll have to see where that goes. Actually, that was the uh, new bicycle that I uh, just got. It was a, a birthday gift from my family. It's ironically the exact same model of bicycle that I have right now, which I love to death. It's just also the e-bike version. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I have to say it's marvelous. <laughs> cool. Cool. Now, is is the electric assist an option? Like if, if you – can you more or less just treat it like a pedal bike with no assist or is there always some degree of – uh, it, that depends on the type of e-bike you get. Most yeah. of them seem to be going the direction of um, uh, what's called pedal assist uh, or pedelec. Oh no, pedal uh, assist electric bicycle pedelec. Um, mm-hmm. That's what they're calling it. And um, those are ones that basically. So you know when you have the, the two sets of gears uh, on your right hand, they control the gear ratios on the rear wheel, and on your left hand, they control the gear ratios on the actual uh, pedals, uh, the the pedal gear. Right. Um, they just simply replace the uh, left one uh, with a, a tiny little computer, um, and you can, uh, if you want, uh, you can turn it completely off, okay. um, and you get. Um, no power at all, and it's just basically a, a little bit of a slightly heavier, slightly more lethargic, but still completely normal bicycle. And then, if you want, you can cycle it. I think what um, Eco Tour Sport and Turbo modes are the ones that are on mine. And um, it, it, it's actually a really funny thing because when I first got the the bike, I, I took it out um, uh, on a, a path nearby here, um, and I was still in completely normal bicycle mode because I have this dreadful hill that I have to get up every morning and so i'm used to as you were saying cranking it out <laughs> right and so i i was um pedaling along with, with this new e-bike and i was thinking to myself you know i i thought it was supposed to make it a little bit easier but then i looked to my right and i i was pacing an automobile wow <laughs> yes it, i i was putting exactly as much effort it's just that the bike was matching it according to the manual 270 <laughs> percent okay nice right. that was I, an amusing moment that's pretty cool all right, so I, I could. All right, so there's a there's a selling point for the e-bike. There we go. <laughs> That's cool. Um, okay, so your your motorcycle. So you you did the test ride to kind of get a feel, and you are like basically thumbs up, happy with yep. your purchase, right? And now it's being prepped. You said, I guess, basically, yep. and then you'll be picking it up this week. 
Uh, right. I won't be picking it up. I will be having it delivered because exactly okay, what so you were saying. I do not want to try. I mean, especially given that. Um, I mean, it, it's a, an hour and a smidge away by seventy mile an hour highway. Um, it's much longer by uh, the safer or at least well slower state roads, and I don't want to to risk it. So it's going to be delivered. Uh, I was able to haggle that into the purchase price, um, and then uh, after that point, I will. Um, uh, just uh, practice with it in first spending an entire evening, two to four hours in this neighborhood. Then um, next uh, uh, evening and I'll try it. I'll do it two to four hours in a neighborhood slightly farther away. Um, and then uh, so on, moving myself actually to the enormous um, football stadium parking lots. Then mm -hmm. that's where I will try a little bit more of my uh, swerving and maybe max breaking practice. Um, actually, you know, Penn State has the fourth largest stadium in the world, 106,000 uh, seats. Wow. Um, the, uh, the population of the town is 150,000 with undergrads. <laughs> <laughs> Without undergrads, every single resident of the city has its own uh, seat in the football stadium, effectively. Oh, wow. cool. um, the third largest stadium in the world uh, is uh, Michigan State. Uh, the second largest stadium in the world is a football stadium in, I think, uh, Barcelona. And the absolute largest stadium in the world um, is in Pyongyang, North Korea. 160,000 seats. It has wow. never once been used. <laughs> oh, really? Yep. Oh, wow. Okay. That was an amusing Wikipedia hole I dove down one day. That's okay. That's interesting. <laughs> so, so are you going to be able to uh, do your practice maneuvers in the stadium? Or it's going to uh, be in the stadium par parking lot? The stadium parking lot. Yeah. I don't want to tear up their turf just yet. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's cool. All right. So, so, so being, you know, everything that you've experienced, right, the, the research that you did, the preparation you've done, you know, to, to get ready for motorcycling, and, and I know we've talked quite a bit already, but is there any other suggestions that you have for new riders? You know, people just getting started, you know, they're trying to find a first motorcycle, trying to decide all this stuff. That's a very good question. I mean, of course, I'm definitely an expert. I have years of experience in the subject, so you should definitely listen to what I'm saying and take it as gospel. <laughs> well, well, here's you know, here's an interesting thing, and and it's kind of funny because you know, in, in the various episodes, I've asked people for feedback. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you don't like. And and honestly, some of the constructive criticism that I got was stop apologizing for whatever lack of experience, this, that, or the other thing. And I've kind of taken it to heart. Now, you know, I explain that the reason I do it is because I, I want to be straightforward with people about, you know, my own knowledge and my own experience. So I'm not misleading people, but I also took the point that all of us have valuable information. Like what, what you explained to me tonight about the, the way that you zeroed in on the motorcycle that you finally ended up purchasing, I learned quite a bit you know, from, from what you had to say. Right. So fine. So I have three years experience riding, but I, you know, didn't have that piece. So, so the point is, you know, what you have to say is valuable and, and people will decide right for themselves if they want to use it or they don't want to use it. Okay. Uh, huh. As to what I would say to beginners, um, if I had to do it over again, um, I might not necessarily go 
as quickly zeroing in on the tracer. Uh, in my case, it helped a little bit that there were just simply very few um, motorcycles in it, its class that, that could directly compare to what I needed, something that um, could be both beginner-friendly and also long-distance touring endurance capable. Um, and so for most other people, I'm assuming they're not looking for such a very niche application, so I would say it is okay to go a little bit slower and to go on multiple test rides. Um, that That's... Uh, probably the best thing uh, that you that I would say. Also, if you are going to end up getting a new bike, um, don't let it get to your head. Uh, uh, as you were saying, wonderful, you have now proven your ability to ride at 20 miles an hour in a closed course. Right. Um, uh, I, I, I like um, how I've come up with this uh, fairly strict practice regimen that I'm not going to push myself out of. Um, because it will, even if some of it at the end of the night becomes redundant, that's still nonetheless more experience and more practice. And every hour of practice that I have in a more controlled situation, uh, is an extra, uh, bit of experience that I have in a less controlled situation. Mm-hmm. So um, those would be the two things that I would have to to say for beginners. Um, Also, it is okay, uh, I mean, not that I can speak from experience, to get a used motorcycle. Um, And in that case, it it might be a little bit easier to justify being a little bit edgier with it. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you are confident enough that you know what you're doing, it might, for your situation, be just as okay to go with a new one. Cool. Good. Well said. You know, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, I, again, I don't, like you said, I don't necessarily advocate this for other people, but in my case, the two motorcycles I have, I bought brand new off the showroom floor, not having test ridden. Uh, and like you, in my case, it's worked out great both times. Now there may be people that have different stories who may have done the same and they were miserable with the purchase, obviously that can happen. Um, but, but like you said, it, it's, it's just kind of have to weigh out the factors and balance it. Um, for me, part of, part of the thing is particularly when you're buying new, especially on long Island, unless you want a Harley or an Indian motorcycle, it's very hard to get test rides. Um, in, in many cases you just can't. And what's been explained to me is just the way things are set up particularly with the European Japanese manufacturers is that there's just not insurance available to protect the merchandise. Uh, I, I guess Harley and Indian, w- whether it's because they're American companies or whatever it is have a different take to it. They're also more premium priced motorcycles. So maybe the insurance is kind of built in, you know, to <laughs> the, to the, to the price of the motorcycle, which I hadn't thought of before, but you know, that that's definitely possible. Um, but yeah, so in, in my case, it was like, you know, buying the second motorcycle, which also is a Kawasaki, similar thing. In that case, it was the first model year, so there were not like new ones to try. Um, the bike kind of spoke to me. You know, I had experience with the prior Kawasaki. I'm like, well, this Kawasaki stuff seems to work for me, so I'll take I'll take the chance. You know, and, and like I said, fortunately, it worked out. So it's just something for people to take a look at and, and factor in. So. So between the two of us, we have three examples of it working out. So we're three for three. So, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, other people may have, has the saying go, others mileage may vary. <laughs> <laughs> 
to uh, that end, um, uh, one more thing that I, I just want to throw in there. Sure. Um, for beginners who don't have as much uh, experience or nuance or cannot take a, a motorcycle for a test ride, this is when I would advocate uh, substituting some of your um, uh, 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 on-bike experience with reviews uh, from other people. Because uh, uh, presumably, if they are a, a motorcycle journalist that have, has been in the game for long enough, they will know what to look for, and they can probably give a more accurate assessment of the motorcycle than you would be able to with yourself. Yeah. Yep. Good point. Also, and, I, and that's one thing I have to say. We're we're you know obviously the the internet has its liabilities and its problems, and and you have to be smart you know about the information that you find. But it it's just a tremendous resource. There's just so much, especially in the day and age of Google and whatnot. There's just so much information out there that uh, yeah, it, it's like it's so easy. Just put in, tell me about this motorcycle, and you'll find you know all kinds of helpful helpful stuff. So. You can do most of your shopping from your desk nowadays. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or or from your phone for that matter. That that's amazing too. Like mobile technology. It's like there's so much whatever. Go to the park and just hang out and just use your phone and you know, research research your next motorcycle. Exactly. Actually on the subject of review of reviews, uh, I just want to go to one last um bit on the tracer. If you can just uh, pardon me a moment while I bring yeah. it up. Um so going back to um uh Revzilla and Lemmy, um uh, part of what made me realize that this is what I wanted uh, as a motorcycle was um, the, the the specific uh, review written by uh, one of the two people in the uh, uh, the YouTube videos, Lemmy. Um, his review of the Tracer. Uh, the first sentence is. It was one of the last reviews that I read. This is kind of what sealed the deal as proving that the motorcycle was right for my personality. His first sentence of the review, and I quote. It's not often I ride a motorcycle and walk away with existential questions for the readers. Wow. <laughs> okay. And so for people who know my personality, you can say, this is made for me. <laughs> this bike speaks to me. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> That's cool. That's very cool. Okay. So uh, before we, we talk a little bit about your podcast and some of your other interests, like in uh, railroading and whatnot, are, are there any questions that, that you have? Uh, yes, about I have plenty of questions, but they're all for my therapist. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I can't help you there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but, you know, if there's anything that comes up, obviously, you know, uh, you could throw questions up on my Facebook page or email me or whatever. I mean, fortunately, I have a lot of listeners who are experienced riders and, you know, even some who are instructors and whatnot. So, you know, if, if you or anyone else who's listening, you know, has questions, you're trying to get started and you're not, not quite sure what to do or where to turn, you know, definitely shoot me an email and I will do the best to answer it. And if I can't, there's plenty of other resources we have that we can uh, direct people to. Absolutely. Thank you very much. I will definitely take you up on that in the future. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, hopefully so none of the questions will be, how do I file an insurance claim? Uh, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Although, you know, for some people they'd need that information too, right? It's like, <laughs> all right. So, but before we, uh, we wrap up for the evening, so let, let's talk a little bit about, uh, about your podcast. So I'm basically doing the same thing that you are. My podcast is called The Beginner's Guide to Model Railroading. Nice. Cool. So this um, was, a, it's a hobby that I've done for a very long time, except apparently being a graduate student because I don't have time because life is experiments. Um, mm. But I guess, uh, what can you do? Staphylococcus doesn't cure itself. 
Right. <laughs> um, but uh, in the meantime, I've been doing this for a, a few years on and off. Uh, so as I was telling you before we actually uh, got the recording going, um, my podcast is a, a much more, um, uh, uh, I guess, time intensive one uh, due to uh, how I run it. And so it, it, the episodes are slow to come out, but I like to think that they are at least somewhat amusing along the way. So what I'm trying to do with it is uh, walk through uh, the entire process of, of how you go about building a model railroad. It's, uh, in my opinion, one of the, the most uh, enjoyable hobbies because it is so incredibly multifaceted. Um, at the end of the day, in order to get trains running, you have to be a carpenter to build bench work. Um, uh, you have to be um, uh, an electrician uh, in order to lay and wire track. You have to be a computer scientist uh, to uh, program locomotives for specific functions. Um, uh, and then you also have to be uh, a landscape architect um, in order to, to actually build uh, the scenery and make it look convincing. I should have mentioned a long time ago, you also have to be a historian because you get to go diving into uh, historical uh, document archives and special collections at universities, uh, finding a, a primary uh, research data in order to figure out how a real railroad ran and, and, and all of the, the different nuances of its physical plant um, and the operation schematics that it had. Um, and then at the end of the day, you have to be a more traditional model builder and actually in order to actually uh, make the, the structures. And you also have to be an artist when it comes to, to scenery and, and to placement of uh, trees and bushes and grass. Um, and then uh, you can also uh, uh, pretend to be like an uh, a, a, an amateur logistics uh, uh, technician and trying to route all of these trains around as they carry With, their without crashing. <laughs> exactly, no cornfield meets is the vocabulary word <laughs> okay. uh, for two sure. trains headed uh, at each other on a single track in the middle of a cornfield. Ah, uh, gotcha. <laughs> so and, um, and, and it probably helps to have nimble fingers, especially if it's a smaller gauge train set, right? So that yes. when when you, when you go to place the pedestrians on the street. You're not knocking things over, or what? Exactly. Um, yeah. So it, it's um, it always keeps you on your toes. There's always something that you can specialize in if you have a passion, but you can also always branch out and do a ton of other things. It, it's basically the nexus of most other hobbies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. So uh, if if people are interested in listening to your podcast, what what's the name of it? Oh, actually, you gave the name, right? It's the say yes, it again. And you can also check out uh, my website, a very impulse bought Squarespace website, www.bgtmrring.org. Nice. Okay. Good. I'm trying to sound awesome, as much awesome. like a radio announcer as I can. <laughs> cool. And then uh, I guess your podcast is on the, the usual Apple Podcasts and Google Play, and people can find it on all those platforms. Yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I, uh, I don't know what age. I guess it was getting into my early teens. I, had, I was playing with model railroads and stuff like that. Uh, I had Marklin, Marklin Trains, HO gauge stuff, which, which was a lot of fun. I, I quit at the point of okay, it's time to start painting and completing the landscape. You know, my, my dad had helped me. It was kind of like a father-son project. He had helped me set up the train layout and the table in the basement. And he, he had all these kind of cool features, like a little trap door in the center of the table. So if something derailed, you could go up and, you know, put the train back on the track. And, and you know, it actually started to kind of sculpt it, you know, kind of, you know, layers or uh, what would you call it? Like yeah, basically layering, you know, for hills and whatever. And the whole thing was laid out. And I love running the trains around and doing all that stuff and running two trains at once and almost having them what's the term <laughs> cornfield <laughs> cornfield. Meat. cornfield okay me um 
But then when it got to, okay, it's time to paint and put all the finishing touches, I, I don't know. I had a combination of maybe I just at that age didn't have the patience uh, and discovered other things, you know. But, uh, but, but, it, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun while it lasted. You know, there's actually a, a phrase in the hobby uh, that describes uh, why a lot of youngsters um, uh, eventually end up uh, leaving model railroading and then come back. Um, people get a case of the uh, fumes, they're called. The perfumes and the okay. gas fumes. <laughs> gotcha. Cars and girls? <laughs> yep. I gotcha. <laughs> Although I don't know what your girls smell like, but it's at the, actually the other way around. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, I don't know, you know, like, you know, I have a girlfriend that rides motorcycles, right? So, you know, a little unleaded, you know, <laughs> oh, no. lovely term I stumbled across in the owner's manual branded Yamalube. Ah, yes, 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 yes. Like, that, 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 that sounds like very weird. Like there should be that, some sort of PG 13 or worse in front of it. I was going to say that could get into a whole other kind of conversation. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but, but for this podcast, we'll 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 leave that one alone. So, <laughs> all right, cool. So, uh, John, any any parting thoughts before we wrap up? I can't wait to get riding. Awesome, yeah. And in fact, uh, you know, obviously, I'm not that far from Pennsylvania. I mean, I, it sounds like you're pretty busy with your school schedule and whatnot. I actually will be in Pennsylvania. Let me think. July something or other. Um, one of the, I don't know if you listen to Loud Pipes podcast. It's one of the ones I talk about. It's one of the first ones I started listening to. Every year they've been doing a meetup. And so they're going to be uh, in Pennsylvania and Gettysburg for the Gettysburg oh. Gettysburg Bike Week. So who knows? Actually, that, that's, that's possibly close enough. I, 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 July, you say? July, I believe. Uh, 12, I want to say 12th to the 14th. Don't, I'll, I'll send you the. The details. Uh, I guess we'll see how my writing ability is going at that time because sure. I might, might just be able to make it. Okay. I mean, I obviously don't want to push myself too hard, but we'll yeah. see what I can do. Cool. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll have a chance to meet face to face. That'd be cool. With any luck. All right, sir. Well, thank you very much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I had a, had a lot of fun, and uh, like I said, I actually I, I learned a lot. I know you, you know you, you're a beginner, and but. Uh, Every, everyone's got something to contribute. That's one of the things I love about motorcycling is so many different people and it's such a great community and everyone wants to just share and help. And, you know, that's, that's really kind of cool. Yeah. Thank you again so very much for having me. Hopefully we can do a checkup in the future and uh, hopefully I won't be in pieces strewn about a state highway. <laughs> that sounds good. All righty. So you have yourself a good evening. Thank you much. Yourself as well. All right. Thank you. So I'd like to give a big thank you to John, also known as G4, for coming on the show and sharing his experiences as a, a new rider and a new motorcycle owner. So if you want to contact me, you can email me at so you want to ride. That's one word at yahoo.com. Uh, you can also find my website, so you want to ride a motorcycle.com. And do me a favor, please like and leave me comments and a rating on your favorite podcast service. That will help other people find my podcast because it does sometimes factor into the various search engines. And you'll find my podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, etc. Also, please like and follow me on Facebook and Instagram. You can just search for So You Want to Ride. And the links to all these things, like my email address and links to social media, are on my website, and you'll find the link to that uh, in the notes for the show. So please spread the word and help me keep building my online community. As always, I thank you for listening. And just remember, whatever you do, it's always time to ride.